Welcome to the Expert Ownership Podcast. I'm Jason with my twin and uglier brother, David. Today we're talking with Dana Cavalia. This guy is awesome. He's a high performance and executive leadership coach. He actually is the former director of strength and conditioning and performance for the New York Yankees. And he won a World Series yeah, in 2009. Did. But the coolest thing is he took the, the principles that he learned from being a, a coach for the Yankees for 12 years and is actually an executive coach for entrepreneurs and business leaders now. And he also wrote this awesome book, Habits of a Champion. Nobody becomes a champion by accident. So I don't want to talk anymore. David doesn't need to talk. Let's jump in and talk with Dana Cavalier. Dana, we want you to coach us. Now I'm gonna ask I'm gonna ask you questions and you don't know if I'm telling the truth or not. But oh, I want you to coach. Hey, man, I mean, just, just reading your bio and getting to know you, it's exciting, man. I was with the Cards. Jason actually played a little bit with the Cards, more with the Orioles. I was also with the dreaded Boston Red Sox. You know what? If we had Dana training us, though, he I guarantee we could have made the big leagues. We'd still be in the big leagues. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> when I heard when I, I saw you guys were ball players, I, I loved it. Oh, that's great. I saw, okay. I saw the picture with the glove the other day. Heck yeah. <laughs> you saw that. So we want you to coach us, man. If you had one piece of advice for an entrepreneur, what would it be from your coach's perspective? Do less. Ooh. Be, but, but be great at that. Be great at that one thing. I, you know, all, all week I, I was just coaching a, a private equity gentleman over in uh, Europe right before this call. And it's amazing how, how much people take on. Mm. because they they have the capacity but we only have so much capacity to be great at so many yeah. things usually we're not that great at everything and most entrepreneurs you know we think that we're great at everything because oh, we could do things better than everybody else right just ask us um but we probably do too much and uh, i work with a gentleman up in up in new york and he's a great guy and he told me one thing he said listen never forget this the riches are in the niches and oh, yeah. the riches in life are in the niches. So find what you're great at, find what you're passionate about. And instead of going real wide and shallow, stay narrow and go real deep. Oh man, that's awesome. Our pastor dad always said to us, boys, you focus on depth and God will handle your breadth. You, you yeah. stay tied to the roots and let the Lord handle the fruits. So absolutely. Okay. So what's Tell us a little bit about you. We want to hear directly from you. We've already talked about your bio, but and I also think your book, Habits of a Champion, Nobody Becomes a Champion by Accident. I, that that uh, sends chill bumps up my spine just reading it. It's exciting, man. Tell us more about yourself. Well, I always say I got into coaching because I was an underperforming player. <laughs> so was Jason. <laughs> and, I, and I relied heavily on coaches to maximize um, really the talent that I had. So... And then I realized that I really loved helping people. That was what I loved. I loved helping people. I loved helping people to maximize, you know, their gifts and maximize their talent and, and help support them along what I say is their high performance journey towards, you know, in the direction in which they, they feel called to go. So it starts with a calling. Would you, you take entrepreneurs there? It starts with a calling. One, 100%, you know, and, and I could speak to that even in my own life. Every time I, I shift into another lane and I'm shifting in that lane for the wrong reason. I always fail in that lane and it always pushes me back to, to what's my calling, which is coaching. And, you know, I, I think in my journey, I've gone through the, thus far, I've always felt that 
like this is it i'm just a coach like it, it comes very easy to me and i enjoy it and i almost don't believe it because it comes so easy <laughs> and, and i'm sure for you guys it's the same thing you know the real estate and all the whatever other passions you have but sometimes talent it's just this gift that comes easy to us and spending the years watching a player like Derek Jeter every night, I'm like, no matter how hard I tried, I could never be that because that's not the lane I'm supposed to be in. But I could be the best coach I could be for a player like Derek Jeter. Oh, man, that's so. it's that that sets so many people free. You know, I've got I've got five kids. I've got kids in their 20s now and I still have teenage daughters. And I tell my daughter, I say, you don't have to have a body or a look like all these other Hollywood actresses or musicians you just be the you that god made you to be you be the best you and i'll tell you what she smiles so big it made her feel so good but in terms of entrepreneurs uh, and being in business it's the same thing don't try to be something you're not now you said that sometimes you try to shift to another lane and of course you get shifted right back into your lane what do you think walk us through that like okay why would you even think about going to another lane or what are some of the pitfalls for entrepreneurs to to look around and try to shift into another lane? For me, it's usually a, uh, based on one of two things. Either I'm a bit bored yeah, because of what I'm doing every day. I'm so used to it and success is very habitual. It's routine. Um, success sometimes could be a bit boring because mm. we just get, we even get used to the success. That's right. And when we don't have that new stimulus, we get a little bored. And the other thing is too, um, sometimes I shift lanes, not just for the challenge of doing something new, but I'll say, well, maybe there's greater profitability over here. Mm. So let yeah. me shift over there and do it this way. And, and every time I make that lane change, it's greeted with uh, distress, mm. angst, frustration. Um, I can't get through that wall. And then it's like, well, use the wall more as a bumper to bump you back where you're supposed that's to be. That's a good point. And, and, that's, and that's what I what I've done and I, and what I come to realize in my own journey is that, um, my journey is not the same as yours and it was never meant to be that it was never meant right. to be the same as yours. So you gotta be really careful who you get advice from, where you get advice. And even when I coach people, I'm really big on, on going deep with the individual. And you said calling before, like, what is it that you're great at? Like what comes natural to you? What lights you up? What, what are you excited about? That let's start there because if we get too far away from that, we're in trouble. What do you tell the entrepreneur who gets excited about something that's outside of something that can make him money? <laughs> well, you know, we're in a really interesting time. Yeah. Because you could monetize, you know, a lot of things yeah. today. You know, so we have to be strategic and and you could always weigh it out because listen, I not every entrepreneur is destined to be a billionaire. Not every entrepreneur is destined to, to be, you know, worth hundreds of millions of dollars or take their company public or, you know, flip it to private equity or take on a partner like that. Right. So once you realize that you got to ask yourself, always go back to like, who am I and what am I comfortable with? I interviewed a, a couple uh, ladies a couple weeks ago and they were in the shark tank and they were about to do a deal with Mark Cuban. And he wanted to do meetings with them every Friday night and they were in the franchise space and he wanted them to do nothing but sell franchises. And they said, you know what, we're going to decline this deal because the speed in which you want us to sell franchises and the restructuring of our business model was to become just selling franchises. There was no 
interaction um, and, and warming up franchisees and really being great partners. And, and for them, they just couldn't do that. Because Friday night was the time that they spent with their family. That's right. Their husband after a nice it. week. So they declined. And, you know, publicly, that would be perceived as insane. Here's this, you know, magnet type partner that you'd be taking on. Your business is going to go right to the fast lane. You'll be at the top before you know it. But you may be at the top, but but you've you've gone against your character. You've gone against what you felt was right. So you're actually a winner, but you're you're really a loser. Because oh man, that's so good. You didn't follow your own your own path, or the path that was uh, predetermined for you. Yeah, you Jason, be really protective of that path. Jason and I have said, you know, you can go out and make a killing in a transaction in, in business, and call, pick up the phone, call your wife, maybe want to speak to your daughter, and she doesn't want to talk to you. I mean, that it don't matter how much money you've got, nothing yep. can replace that relationship. So man, that, that's, that's a great story of those folks that did that. Hey, let me ask you this. What's been the biggest challenge for you to overcome or for you to help business owners overcome? Uh, and how did they overcome it? Well, you know, personally, it always goes back to, to staying focused and not rushing. Yeah. I, I've learned um, the consequences of of going at a pace that was faster than, than which I can control. Mm. You know, when I was with the Yankees, I decided I was going to open these training facilities in, in the New York Metro area where we would teach, you know, the general population, young athletes, a little bit older athletes, you know, how to train like a pro, what it was like, you know, an integration of physical therapy and integration of sports-based training book, all of it. And I built five training facilities mm. within like, two and a half years with my own, with my own money. And it was going well and well and well. And then all of a sudden it didn't go well anymore. And I looked back and I said, Hey, you built beautiful facilities, but you forgot to build a management team and the right team and the structure and the layers that go with running a multi uh, unit business. But it, what, what drove it was just this uninsatiable desire to grow. Right. Mm and build and grow and build and grow. And then that's I the entrepreneur and I desire. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I, I grew way too fast. So, um, I have to pace myself naturally because my, the challenge is, is losing myself for the desire, I guess, of, of to grow mm. something and for the acclaim that goes with, wow, look what he did. So we can fall in love with that. We have to be really careful that we, that we keep that in check, at least for myself. That's good. Oh, I love this so much. And, and, and it was the same thing that God convinced, uh, convicted my brother and I of when we first started our company before we grew it uh, with our franchise across the nation, but it was to pace ourselves. So, so as a coach, obviously pacing yourself is going to help you in your work-life balance as well. And, and you mm -hmm. coach entrepreneurs, you've coached world-class athletes. Um, what do you what do you teach them in terms of maintaining that work-life balance? Cause that's probably one of the biggest things that you got to deal with. Yeah. Well, I, I think where I spend most of my time is talking to them about a, uh, a start time and a stop time. Oh, that's good. So I always say there's these posts you put in the ground, you got a wake up time and you got a bedtime. Those are the first two posts you put in the ground. Mm. 
Then typically you have a breakfast time, a lunch time, and a dinner time. Put those three posts in the ground. And then you have a, tr a time where you invest in yourself physically for some sort of physical training. Put that in the ground. Yep. And now you have these different spaces that have been allocated for you to do work up until that, that post that says, hey, my work day's over and now I have my evening time. And in that evening time, I don't do work because in that evening time, I got to spend time with my family. For those that have kids, I got to spend time with my kids. You know, and that... So we have to be really careful that that we don't sort of leak over into these different parts um, of our day that, that are meant for certain things. So I'm really big on putting people in schedule. If you own your schedule, you own your life. Yeah. Most people don't own their schedule. They're, they they live a reactive life and they have a reactive schedule that is very adaptable. And it's oftentimes hyper adaptable because they don't want to be perceived as you know, hey, this person's too big for their britches and they're, you know, so so they're always trying to please others and they're always adapting their own schedule. And it's like, you have to own that schedule. Put that even, you may not be able to get to that person today. Don't say yes and then have that meeting infringe upon the time that you set out to have dinner with your wife and kids. Like these, these things can't happen. And when you just have a flowing schedule, it creates a lot of problems and work-life balance, work-life integration, whatever you want to call it is, yeah, I got no chance at it. And, and that's where it goes back to pace. If you're trying to do too much too quickly, you're going to just give up your schedule for it, for any opportunity or perceived opportunity. Oh, I got to take this call. It's this person, you know, they, they run a big company. It's worth a hundred million. Oh, this guy's the CEO of, Oh, this person, yeah. you know, can help me get closer to my dreams. And you're just giving up more of those blocks. And this is what I deal with too, with people that don't train their body physically. They just never have time to work out, but they always have time for that business lunch. Oh yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Or cocktail yeah. hour or whatever it may be. Tossing back beers with all their buddies. Yeah. They've always got time for that. You know, um, I, I love how you're talking about owning your schedule. Jason and I say, you got to separate the difference between proactive and reactive tasks. And with all of your reactive tasks, you got to ask yourself three questions. Can I delegate it? Can I automate it? Or can I eliminate it? I like and you that. just try to just pare it down as best you can. Steal that. Run with it. It's yours now. I love that. Because I'm, take, I'm taking your post analogy. So and there my we go. flag. There, and the flag. <laughs> I love the American flag. Hey, I got a question for you. What, what athlete most impressed you and uh, what about them impressed you the most? Now, I know, obviously, you're going to get in trouble with all your other athletes if they're listening to this. Yeah. But I know you've got tons of them. But just off the top of your head, tell me about one athlete and what impressed you about them. See, that's an interesting question because most people ask me another question. They say, who was the biggest jerk you ever worked with? Yeah, well, uh, I was going to yeah. go there next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I always say, man, like, you know, with the guys that I worked with, they were such a special group. Um, I can't, I can't name a guy that I really disliked. I mean, everybody was really cool. You know, in the sports world, it's a little bit different, I guess, than the, the common office. But um, one of my closest friends is Andy Pettit. Yeah. Um, He's legit. I, just, I don't know. We, we hit it off, not just as in a coach player relationship, but um, we hit it off as friends. And, you know, we spent a ton of time together and you know how baseball is guys. It's one of those sports where it can get lonely and it can get very dark at different times. And you need the brother, the brotherhood, you need the companionship. And he was one of those guys that I always felt really um, grounded around and comfortable around and, and secure around in different ways. And I, I like to think I provided 
that for him as well. So we would, you know, after a, a day game, boom, we'd go right to dinner together. Um, on night games on the road, we'd have breakfast together almost every day. So it, it was, he was just a special guy. And then we'd go right to the ballpark and we'd train together because mm. he loved that one-on-one -on -one interaction to be pushed physically, but also to be pushed mentally. And then also have somebody that, that wasn't, um, I guess, as deviant as some of the other guys to talk to. <laughs> he and, was a uh, wholesome guy, man. I mean, when I was with the Red Sox, I remember hearing all about Pettit. Obviously, everybody's talking in the clubhouses, but Pettit was a stand-up dude. What about, obviously, he had incredible work ethic, but tell us a little bit about Jeter's work ethic. I mean, I, I've always wondered, what's he like off the field? What, what kind of dude is this to have this type of skill hmm. if he's got work to match it? No wonder he's so stinking good. You know what people don't realize about Derek Jeter? I mean, they think he's, he's um, you know, like a guy that likes to go out and hit the scene all the time. But Derek Jeter is really just an introverted guy from the Midwest. That's what I always say. You know, people say, ah, he could be standoffish. He's a, he's a shy guy um, that had tremendous talent. And I think when he was younger, he didn't even know the talent that he had. But his talent wasn't, it wasn't blow you away kind of talent. But what allowed him to maximize the talent gift that he had was nobody was more consistent than Derek Jeter. Yeah. I mean, you could check your watch and you knew where he was going to be at what time. Guy ate the same thing, peanut butter and jelly on white bread every night before game. Are you game. kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was just he was such a routine, habitual and consistent individual that, uh, that he he was he was amazing to, now, to be around. How did you get into all this? How did you get into being this big time fitness guru with the Yankees? And then obviously that has that has spillover into you now doing executive coaching. So how did you get into all this? Well, I started with the Yankees at 19 years old as an intern, and the story is really quite interesting. I I grew up in New York. I never liked the cold. Uh, but I always loved the Yankees and I always loved baseball. So I decided to go to the University of South Florida down in Tampa. And uh, when I realized my playing career was going to come up short there, I started working with the football team at the University of South Florida as an intern in strength and conditioning. And I was pursuing a degree in sports medicine, but I knew that the New York Yankees had spring training in Tampa. So that was really one of the reasons I went to Florida and went to the school, U University of South Florida. And here it is February, the New York Yankees come down for spring training and I drive my beat up old Mazda 929 you know, up to the park. <laughs> I park about a mile and a half away for spring training. I walk up and I'm taking pictures of Jeter, of Clemens, of Pettit, all these guys through a chain link fence like every other fan. You know, I'm 19 years old at the time. I was just thrilled to be there. And literally, I go back to my internship that day, and the strength coach that I'm working under, Ron McKeefrey, says, hey, Dana, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah. He says, I just got a call from the Yankees, and they're looking for a guy to hand out towels, hand out water, and just basically watch the weight room while the head guy's out on the field. Would you have any interest in that? And Heck I said, as yeah. a matter of fact, I just got back from there, and I would love that. That's the whole reason I came to Tampa. And uh, I said, when do I start? He goes, you start tomorrow. So literally the next day, Got in the same beat-up car, drove up to the ballpark. This time I had a parking spot up front. Day before, I had to park so far away because I couldn't afford it yep. to park any closer. <laughs> and I walk in the, the main office. They say, are you Dana Cavalier? I said, yeah. They threw a lanyard around my neck with a credential. C for clubhouse, F for field access. Walked me into the clubhouse, threw me in Yankee gear, 
And next thing you know, that same field I was taking a picture of a day earlier, I was now in the middle of. And, and man, that is I'll, such a God story. It was, it was wild, man. And that's the thing, you know, we try to do all this planning and strategy, but man, that causes me a lot of stress. And I spent a lot of time, trust me, I got these white pad, uh, yellow pads all over oh, yeah. my house yeah. and whiteboards and I got strategy everywhere. And I'm saying to myself, hey, dummy, maybe one of these days you'll realize that your strategy is always going to be trumped by our bigger one. Yeah, that's right. I God's love got this thing. So now, man. okay. So then what? Walk us through. Then what? Yeah. So, so then I, I literally, I started my internship that day. Here I am right in the middle of team stretch. And I'll never forget Pettit, Clemens and Mariano, the three of them and Mike Mussina, four of them running past me. And I was like, Oh my God, I just went from super fan of the team on the other side of the fence to, okay, you're 19, get it together, man. You know, my buddies <laughs> oh, were a bunch of derelicts back at home you know <laughs> hanging out and doing the college thing and here i am with the opportunity of of a lifetime and i i very quickly realized number one your life could change very quickly and number two when you get that opportunity you better dig in and take advantage of it that's right and that's, and that's what i did and and i started to say how can i create um value for myself i didn't know anything i was just starting my career in sports medicine and learning about my field and this goes back to 2002 when like functional training and core training was just starting to come about. It was like yeah. this transitional time from meathead weightlifting in baseball to, you know, a much more scientific based, educated approach to developing performance. And I would go home literally and I would buy any book I could find with like core training, core exercises. And the only thing that the head guy let me do was take players through their core. Oh, good. So I would create like these very creative core routines. And while he was on the field, I would be acting like, hey, this is my training room. And I'd be taking the players through this creative stuff. And I was really branding myself as the core guy. Wow. And, and know, everybody wants early. abs. Oh, yeah. I bet <laughs> yeah, those dudes, right? I bet they flock to you. <laughs> and, th and then I, from there, you know, like you build a relationship. And then they say to you, hey, you know, what else you got for me? And then I started to earn the trust of the coach that I was working under. And he let me do more and more. And, and then I became the core and functional movement, functional exercise guy. And, and that's really how it built. And I, I remember even being up at the mall in Tampa one night. And I saw Brian Cashman there with his son playing on the playground in the middle of the mall. And I said, hey, Cash, my name's Dana Cavalier. It's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm interning, you know, down in the strength facility. And I, I appreciate the opportunity. And, and he was always really great to me. And two years later, I got hired as an assistant. Wow. And literally, um, we had, a they just hired a head guy. Never forget this. They, they put him on like a three year deal for like $1.2 million. And I was making like 50 grand, nothing to yeah. be the assistant. Sure. And I remember him saying, he's like, Oh man, he's like, I'll probably do this for about 10 years. And then, you know, I'll probably just spend time after that. I'll spend time with my family and call it quits. And I'm like 10 years, I'm 22. That means I'll be the assistant until I'm 32, which 10 years when you're 22 seems yeah. like oh, a lifetime. Ever. Forever. <laughs> and, uh, and literally we had so many hamstring injuries that uh, just through the month of April that I remember Phil Hughes was on the mound in Texas uh, and it was a hot, steamy night, believe it or not, and April and he pulled his hamstring 
and and it was like that was like the fifth hamstring that's it yeah and in new york everything's a five alarm fire yeah so you better be ready and and that's the next morning i see the head guy crying in the lobby of the hotel and i'm like oh man what's going on and and i remember jorge Posada walking up to me and saying hey they just fired him cash just fired him cashman Next thing you know, my phone's ringing oh, and I'm what? freaked out now because I spent all this time interning, working for free. And next thing you know, I have this great opportunity and I'm about to get let go. I'm freaking out. So he calls me up to his suite. Uh, we were staying at the Crescent Hotel in Dallas, Texas. And um, I walked into this palatial suite, nothing I've ever seen before in my life. I'm used to staying at crappy hotels with my parents. And um the next thing you know, he sits me down. He's like, hey, uh, I just want to let you know I let the head guy go, and uh, I'd like to make you the interim head strength coach. Can you what? handle that? What? And I'm like, handle that? I just thought I was about to get let go. <laughs> so I have this like Jerry Maguire moment where I'm like quiet. I'm like, absolutely. And I walk out the door, and I'm like, dad, yes, I did I'm it. going to believe this. You know, it's like guys and their dads. You know, we oh, have that course. baseball connection. And next thing you know, uh, that night I'm on the field first night as the head guy and Jason Giambi comes up to me and he says, Hey bro, we got you. Don't worry. Just do your thing. We'll take care of the rest. Oh, uh, I love and, that. and these players, I love them. They went to bat for me. They went to the, their, their, the, the interim status lasted maybe four weeks. Wow. And, and, uh, they came down and said, you're, you're the guy. Wow. How long did you hold the position? Uh, I was there 10 years. Look at you. Yeah. Wow. So it, it was cool. 12 in total. I interned for two years and, and, uh, it was a good, it was a good run, man. It was a lot of fun. And then you realized that all the lessons that you learned in coaching these athletes would, would spill over into the business world. hundred percent. And and you know what I used to do? I always tell people, it's like, you know, don't waste your time. Don't waste your opportunities. I used to love watching BP. So after I would stretch the guys, I would, uh, I'd watch BP. I'd, I'd sit on the shell, you know, watch a BP talking smack with everybody. Oh yeah. But, but in New York, we had this VIPs, all these VIPs that, you know, owned big companies, wall street Titans, all these folks would come down on the field and watch BP. So I would always drift towards the VIP area. Just people would ask me questions. Hey coach, you know, uh, what can I do to sleep better? Hey coach, you know, what could I do to improve my mindset? Hey coach, you know, what could I do to, you know, improve my physicality, get stronger, lose weight. And I was also doing a lot of television stuff with the yes network where they were asking me to talk about how I train and develop players and talent. So they would see me on TV and then say, Hey, I saw what you were doing. And it created this dialogue. And the first client I picked up, it's funny. I still work with them today. He says, Hey, let me ask you something. Do you work with old rich Jewish guys? <laughs> of course. <laughs> and I said, I said, well, it depends. I was just joking around. And I was like, uh, well, it depends how much they pay. <laughs> and then he says, I'm serious. And he hands me his, his card and he asks me for my number. And next thing you know, uh, the season ends. And a few weeks later, he says, um, hey, we met on the field that day. I was the guy that asked you if you train rich Jewish guys. And I and um, I said, well, yeah, I do. <laughs> and, I, and it kicked off a great relationship. He ends up being a multi-billionaire. He owns a professional sports team. Wow. I knew nothing about him. And, and one of the most amazing guys. And, and talking about work-life balance, this is a guy, 
He's very, very religious. He works Monday through through Friday morning. Yep. Shuts it down for the whole weekend and, and has had immense success being focused on, you know, his religious obligations, focused on his family and, and doing things the right way, mm. never compromising, doing things the right way. Amazing. Man, and, and has become one of my, um, one of my favorite people in the world for that reason. Mm, he taught me amazing lessons about life and business. I can see how doing things the right way in terms of just your, your, your physical fitness, getting your core, uh, stretching, all of these things, no more hamstring injuries, not plaguing the organization, this <laughs> functional fitness. And then you bring that into the space of the marketplace to entrepreneurs. It's like the same thing. You, you, you have your core set of values, your mission, your vision, you don't deviate from it. You know what your passion is. You know what you're proficient at. You stay in your lane. You do less. You create value wherever, wherever you are. Boom. That's what's going to lead to success. That's the summary of your entire of the entire podcast with you, <laughs> dude. Yeah, this, you guys, are, you guys are good. You either have fast fingers or a good memory or both. No, I just have good memory <laughs> because you you tell good stories and uh, and it's very impactful for me. I mean, Jason and I were. We're what twelve years older than you are at this point, and um, but you know what? You've taught us a you, ton. You look Thank a you. lot more like Adam Sandler do you, in real life, you and you've know, got the great Adam Sandler voice. Do you, do you know that I get this on a weekly basis? Of course you do, <laughs> and and it, it's crazy because I I go I go to the airport, and and I'm like, listen, I'm flying I'm flying commercial. If I was Adam Sandler, I wouldn't be on this flight. Like, yeah, right. But always at always at TSA. They think I'm Adam Sandler. It's, it's the, the wildest thing. Maybe it's because I'm wearing the Yankee hat today and I got these lines here. But, <laughs> but my wife says, I don't see it, but maybe from the nose down. <laughs> oh, man, Dana, this has been so fun for us, dude. You've taught us a lot. I feel coached. Uh, I feel inspired to make sure that my entrepreneurial ambition does not jump in the driver's seat, but that I run at the right pace. And that ultimately by listening to your story, I can see God's hand just... Like what you said, you can come up with all the strategy in the world, but you know that there is a God in heaven that's putting the pieces of the puzzle together and that we can trust him with that so that we don't have to get anxious or anything like that. Now we it's always go hard. Ahead. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the, that's the hard part. I, I, the, the trust part is something that I, I try to, I, I over navigate the ship Yeah, and it's like, Hey man, just Take your hands off the wheel and let it go. Yeah, we've done the same thing. You know, it's, it's very difficult. For every guest we have on Expert Ownership, we ask them um, how they're owning the five core areas of their life, just at least one area. And there are five core areas of our lives that we as men want to own. Our faith, family, finances, fitness, and friendships. We want to take ownership of every single area of our life on ev at every single day. So tell us in one way, that you're owning one of those areas, faith, family, finances, fitness, or friendships? Hmm, man, I want to answer all of them, but uh, the core of me is a fitness guy. So for me, I schedule my workouts every day at 11 o'clock. I, I usually block off my schedule Monday through Friday, 11 to about 1230. It's great. And then 12.30 to one, I shower, eat, and I'm ready to go for one. So between 11 and one, I'm a little bit hard to access because I don't give up that part of my schedule. And I got to tell you, it just, it keeps me even, it keeps me sane and it allows me to be better with my family. It allows me to make, make better financial decisions. 
it allows me to listen to some podcasts and sermons and things like that to keep faithful. Um, and you know, at the same time, when I have all that working, I become a better friend for everybody. Oh, I love that. That's so good. Okay. Now let's end with this, but you've got to tell us since obviously you're a fitness guru, what can we do? So we're entrepreneurs in mid forties. What do we need to be focusing on, on right now in terms of fitness? Yeah. Well, for most entrepreneurs in their mid forties, you guys look like you're in pretty good shape over there, but for, for most, you know, you have to get on a routine. Like you have to, you act, you have to either, you have to, what I find is most people need to hire somebody and, and you could hire somebody in terms of, you know, you can get your own trainer. You could join a group, a training, you know, whatever it is, a local boot camp, whatever it is, whatever your preferred mode of training is, but what I find is most people, they don't have the willpower to do it and show up every day on their own. So you got to make either a time commitment in your schedule or hire somebody to keep you accountable. Mm. But the physicality as it plays into entrepreneurship, a line that I always use is energy wins. And if I use my physical training to be able to perform at a high level, I want to be able to compete against the best every single day. I never want to say, oh my gosh, I'm so tired today. I can't bring it. I can't show up to do that deal today. I can't take on that session because I just don't have the juice. So you're training. If you want to be a great entrepreneur and you don't train, there's weakness in your game and you can get beat. That's good. So you need to train your physicality. You're training for energy and you're training for endurance and you're training for capacity. So you could do this entrepreneur game 365 days, you know, 12 months and go the distance with it. Uh, that's so good, man. We've got a lot to chew on and I know our listeners are pumped about all of the stuff that you've given us. So man, we really appreciate it, Dana. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. Right out of the gate. He says, do less. I ask him for a tip. He says, do less. Now, I mean, that's obviously countercultural, counterintuitive. You have to sit back, but he's exactly right. We can, we can just, we get so tied up looking at the grass on the other side of the fence. Just do less. Stay in your lane. Find where the profit is. What's your proficiency and your passion and do less. Stay yeah. right there. And, he, and he's all about pace. You know, here's a guy that's been at the top of the game in terms of, of training the World Series champions and all the greatest, the great Derek Jeter, Alex Rodriguez, Jason Giambi, guys like that, Andy Pettit. And now he's training multi-billion dollar CEOs. And the one thing he keeps saying is, pace yourself. Just go with the right pace. We should definitely listen to that as entrepreneurs who are ambitious. Yeah, and then I love in his story as a young 19-year-old kid, he's sitting there with the Yankees. Instead of being awestruck on the baseball field and just taking it all in as a consumer, he said, how can I create value? So he goes and becomes a core expert and a functional fitness expert, and boom, when you lead with value, doors will open. And then he also finds Brian Cashman, you know, he's, he's the GM and says, hey, Cash, thank you so much for the opportunity. And of course, two years later, he's got the, he's, he's the head guy in the job. I mean, gratitude will open doors uh, that complaining certainly can never open. So what a great, what a great podcast. I've learned so much. 
Hey, if you're looking to crack the code to have financial freedom, a thriving business, and a life of impact, the best resource we know is our expert ownership course, where we take you through a step-by-step process to help you become a CEApreneur. You can earn more income and even have more impact, especially with those people that matter the most to you in your family and in your friendships. ExpertOwnership.com is your course. (laughs) 